0: Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn.
1: And I'm Justin. And we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas,
0: where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ.
1: Today we're joined by the very Reverend Bertie Pearson, rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Georgetown, Texas who is joining us to talk about the right of reconciliation, or reconciliation of a penitent. And if you remember last week, we were talking about the general confession. So this is our next step. And we kind of let, we were letting you know that we were going to go here this week. And Bertie, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, Bertie is actually the very reverend title, for those who don't know, is he's the dean of the convocation that both Brent and I are in, which means our churches inside a diocese, there's little convocations that break the diocese up. And he is the the head person. Like he is like the little bishop of our convocation. That's probably a strong that's probably a strong connection. Bertie, correct me. I can yeah, see that it I have, on your
2: face. I have a very weighty responsibility in that I send out an email every month to all of the clergy. And I include <laughs> a little bit of news and I invite them to a gathering, usually over Zoom. It's it's really a Profound spiritual role that I play.
1: Cast out demons via email. He baptizes through the
2: electronic
1: airwaves. He brings Jesus to bear on. Okay, I'm just going to stop. Yeah,
2: I would. I would say it's as far uh, from being a little bishop as you could possibly get. Basically, I'm just like I help gather together our clergy for for friendship, for collegiality, and for uh, formation opportunities, <laughs> which we are so appreciative. And so you do let's...
0: a good job of it. Thank We're you. grateful.
1: Fantastic job of it. Now, Bertie, can you help us understand, uh, just by way of getting some background in, uh, the history of what we'll call private confession, or in our case, reconciliation of a penitent?
2: Sure. <clears throat> I mean, I think to talk about that, in a way, you have to ask why, why we confess at all. So um, St. Isaac of Nineveh says that this life is given to us for repentance. And if what he means by that is this life is given to us to feel crappy, to feel to kind of beat ourselves up and be racked with guilt all the time, that's a very depressing understanding of what this life is about. But that's not what he means at all. So <clears throat> I have a little bit of a Bible trivia quiz for the two of you. In Genesis, why does God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden after they fall? Red?
0: Because of their disobedience.
2: That's certainly the reason, the kind of original reason why. But he says, oh, there's something in the garden they shouldn't have. Get them out of here. Put an angel with a flaming sword at the door. What's that thing that they shouldn't have after they're cast out of the garden? Life. Yes. So God says, if they eat of the tree of life, they will be like us. He's speaking to the heavenly host. And what that means is That if Adam and Eve fall, if they rebel against God, if they turn their backs on God, and then they enter into the conditions of eternity, they eat of this tree of life, they enter into eternal existence, they'll be like the demons. That they will be in a state of eternal rebellion against God. Mm. And so he casts them out of the garden. He moves them away from the tree of life to give them a chance, to give us a chance to repent. So this life is literally given to us for repentance. The reason we are not living under the conditions of eternity, the reason we are not living an immortal life now, is just so that we can repent. But repent does not mean feel guilty. Guilt in some ways is the opposite of repentance. What repent means is to get back on the path that leads to Christ. So if you are sailing a ship, uh, I've never sailed a ship, so I have no idea if this is really true. But I'm told <laughs> that if you're sailing a ship, it's constant. You're constantly course correcting. It starts to drift a little to the left, and so you have to turn it back. It starts to drift a little to the right, and you turn it back. And so you're constantly just turning the rudder to make sure it stays on course. And that's what repentance looks like. So I know who I want to be. I want to be like Christ. I want to be loving. I want to be good. I want to be generous. I want to be non-judgmental. I want to be a source of peace and joy for other people and so I get up and I think like okay today I want to be like Christ and then I go to the refrigerator and the milk has gone bad and it's very frustrating to me and I kind of forcefully throw it in the garbage and I say to my wife you, you know we didn't get milk in the grocery order Did you plug, you're you the one who placed the order so why um, and then I have to stop and think wait I'm drifting off that course I'm not on that course that leads to Christ. So rather than falling down on the floor and saying like, oh, I am a worm, I'm a monster, I'm Hitler part two, instead I repent and I course correct and I say, I'm sorry, that was so uncalled for. I don't know why I got so butthurt about this, but we're out of milk. Let's use oat milk this morning. So repentance is about course correction. This this word uh, metanoia in Greek, it's like renewing the mind. It is renewing the noose. It's renewing the part of you that can see and know and understand God. So the whole point of life, the whole point of why we're here on earth is repentance. It's getting on this path that leads to Christ and becoming more and more like Christ. Because Christ is not only the fullness of God, which he is, he's also the fullness of humanity. So if you want to be a human, it's about becoming more and more like Christ. So that's why we repent. That's the point of any kind of confession is repentance, and arguably the whole point of life is repentance. <clears throat> so why, why private confession? Is that kind of the, the ultimate question? Yeah. I, mean, I, think,
1: that, you know, I think we're going to head there. But I want to stop here just for a second because yeah. what you were saying was reminded me of, and our listeners have heard me say, I just love, and Bryn, Bryn, I've just beat this into the ground. But Maximus the Confessor talks a lot about this in the centuries on theology when he talks about the garden episode as uh, he's a slightly different language but similar to what you just described Bertie, which i really like that imagery of the purpose of life is really repentant that we were actually in a weird way saved from our ourselves in some regard by being cast out of the garden
2: yeah
1: i mean it's an interesting uh, spin but that's kind of similar to what maximus talks about when he says that adam and eve contemplated things before they were ready to fully receive the the benefit of them so that contemplation had to happen elsewhere. It couldn't happen in the garden anymore. And then that's why we are constantly working on cultivating the divine energies, as Maximus would say. And that's that repentance for him and that course correction. As someone who grew up on the coast, I get it, that's perfect. Move the rudder, you move the sails, you know, and a sailboats constantly, rarely goes in a straight line um, because there's a lot of things that can blow you all sorts of different directions. But one of the things that's important in maximus's mind is that we're we have choices to live towards god or live away from god and it's kind of he uses the light darkness metaphor you get from the gospel of john of course for maximus the gospel of john was probably the gold standard uh the most quoted text that he quotes but he talks about when you're living towards god that's light and when you're living away it's darkness but if you can imagine which is hard for us to do because there's light behind my back i'll see i'll see it in front of me but when we make those choices that, like the milk carton, we, we live into that, possibly could potentially live into that darkness, but God's right there. We just have to turn, we just have to repent, we have to turn back, cultivate those divine energies to reflect God uh, for ourselves and then for each other. Uh, so I really, really found that imagery very powerful. Um, so why private confession? Why private confession?
2: That's also a mercy. So being cast away from the tree of life is a mercy. So this life given to us for repentance is a gift from God for our salvation. And private confession is also a mercy. So in the early church, um, if you were somebody who went to church, if you were a churchgoer, it's because you were willing to die for your relationship with Christ. So from basically three years after the resurrection of Christ, the crucifixion and resurrection, we have the first martyrdom. Who is who's the first martyr of the church another quiz
0: even yeah stephen. Saint stephen.
2: that's right so saint stephen in probably about 36 a.d is martyred and from then on you get this like cascade of martyrdoms so in 64 you have this first big kind of mass governmental martyrdom in the city of rome in which peter and paul are do- are, are martyred <clears throat> then you get all these local persecutions up until the middle of the third century in the third century, you get the first empire-wide persecution. Then in the late third century, you get the second empire-wide persecution under Decius and Diocletian. So you have a whole bunch of Christians being killed. So it means that if you're somebody who goes to church, it's because you are ready when you hear the on the door and they say, who is it? And they say, Roman soldiers. You let them in and you know they're going to drag you off to the Colosseum to be eaten by bears or to be crucified or whatever it is. And you're cool with that. So you're willing to give up basically everything to be a Christian. And it's not just that you have this kind of macho streak and you're like, yeah, they can kill me. I don't even care. You're also willing to be martyred internally. So you are willing to be martyred in your greed. You're willing to be martyred in your judgments of others. You're willing to be martyred in your impatience and your unkindness. In all these things, you're willing to have all those things crucified within you and to live for Christ, to really be dead to the old Adam and to embrace the new Adam, to be part of the new Adam, to be part of the body of Christ. So that's all to say that Christians before about 313 AD were really hardcore. To be a Christian was no joke. It was super duper intense. There was a sense that when you were, well, there was a, 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 a teaching of the church that when you were baptized, this washes away all sin. So, the sin of your previous life is just, like, gone. It is gone in your baptism. In the early church, initially, there was this sense that, like, you were baptized, and then after that, you don't commit any more big sins. Obviously, all of us are sinners. All of us are broken. All of us are miserable failures all the time. But most of us aren't murderers. So, if you're going to do any murdering, definitely do it before your baptism (laughs) rather than after um but there were cases in which someone would um would be baptized and then the roman soldiers would come in and say who here's a christian and someone who's been baptized says uh i just came here to pick up some coffee i live next door I'm, i'm not with these guys and they're like okay you can go and then everybody else gets hauled off and is martyred and then what does that person do when they come to church the next sunday they're like well i this was a huge apostasy i turned my back on christ you know i I wasn't willing to die for my faith um so is there any way i can sort of get back on board so the church comes up with this process for apostasy for murder for adultery for all sorts of big sins in which at the announcements the priest gets up and says like you know join us for coffee hour and our linton book club is beginning and don't forget to listen to my podcast do we have any other announcements And Justin gets up and says, I'm an adulterer. I I was on a business trip, and I uh, met this lady. Uh, You know, we really got along. We had a connection. We're both into Dungeons and Dragons, and we ended up having an affair. And so then the priest says, all right, Justin, you know, thanks for sharing that. Um, For the next seven years, you should be on a Lenten diet of no no dairy, no animal products. Um, You might wear sackcloth and ashes. You might refrain from marital relationships, and you won't you won't receive communion for the next seven years. And then after that, you can be readmitted into the fold. Um, so that's what confession looks like in the early church. It is a public confession. It's not we're all kneeling and we're all kind of whispering our sins together. You actually stand up and you say to the whole congregation, this is what I did. This is what I want to repent of. This is what I need God's help overcoming in my heart, overcoming in my life. and As things progressed in the church, um, you go from this early church period where everybody's willing to die for their faith to 313 when the edict of Milan is signed, which makes Christianity legal. So there's no longer persecution of Christians in the West. It continues in the East for a bit under Licinius. So at that point, the church becomes not just this hardcore group of spiritual athletes, but kind of everybody. Folks like me can start coming to church, like really mediocre Christians start coming to church, start participating in the liturgy, and you have a lot more need for intense, serious confession. And so as a mercy from the church, the church starts designating priests to stand in for the whole body of God's people. So rather than me standing up in front of the whole church to confess my adultery, As this mercy, I just stand up in front of the priest and confess my adultery. And what happens in that is not that the priest has magical power to convince God to forgive me when God doesn't want to forgive me. Instead, what happens is that the priest who is the witness of my confession can help me think about my sin, can help me think, what what is it that led you to have that affair? Like what was going on? How's your prayer life? You know, have you been praying and you still had the affair? How is your fasting? How is your anger? How is X, Y, and Z? Help you draw connections between the different facets of your sin. Can give you spiritual advice. Can give you penance that might help. So the priest is there as a spiritual friend who's trying to help you um, cure this disease that's within you. This disease of sin. So there's an ancient practice in the church. This practice among the Desert Fathers called the opening of thoughts. So a younger monk or a newer monk would come to an older monk or a monk, at least, who had been in the desert for a long time and say, you know, I keep having these thoughts of revenge. And they would just talk about it. And um, there's an advice piece, but there's also this piece in which, um, like, when I do something that I'm proud of, I really want everybody to know about that. You know, if, um, if I have, if my podcast gets a whole bunch of listens or whatever, I'm really excited to share that with everyone. If I do something that I'm ashamed of, I really don't want anybody to know about that. I want to keep that all to myself because I would like the world to think that I'm the saintly, fantastic person with great accomplishments, when in fact, I'm not. Um, and God is all-powerful. But he's not capable of saving the saintly fake version of me because that person doesn't really exist so if that's who i'm invested in and that's what i'm projecting to the world and that's what i'm sort of believing in myself that i'm this like fake perfect version of myself then there's really no one for god to save because god can only save this kind of broken sinful person who i actually am so when i kneel down or when i sit down and I tell someone else all these deep, dark secrets that, I, that I'm hiding from the world because I want the world to think I'm perfect, suddenly some of that spell is broken. And I start to believe less in that saintly person. And the real me kind of starts to emerge in my life. And I sort of open myself to God in that moment. One can certainly do that in the general confession. One can certainly do that on Sunday, kneeling before the altar. Um, but it's a little different. When I actually say, like, you know, Father Justin, Mother Bryn, I did this terrible thing. And I'm actually, like, not just telling God in silence, but I'm actually telling my brother and my sister. That's a really intense, terrifying thing to do. And that knocks my ego down a whole bunch of pegs, which is a really good thing. So that's that's some of the history and that's some of the reason behind actually making a confession one-on-one to a priest.
0: I I love all of that, I think that just really like brings the whole um, practice of it to life in an important way, that it's not just this kind of like static thing that we're supposed to do to check a box, um, but that there's real transformation that we hope for. Um, you know, there were a couple of things that you said that I think are are worth really just amplifying. Um, the first thing being just the idea that... Um, that we have something that we're striving for, that we're striving for, um, being like Christ and that we then are confessing, not just like the ways that we fall short because we're going to fall short, but that we confess the ways that we deny Christ, um, in our actions, um, and in our thoughts and in our inaction, um, I think that, um, that helps me think about, you know, what are the things that, that I should be confessing. Um, but I also, you know, I, the last thing that you were talking about, about God can't save the fake me, God can only save the real me just seems like such an important thing to, to emphasize because, you know, we, and, and we sort of talk about our, you know, finding our authentic self and being, you know, being more authentic, but even that has turned into a bit of a show. Um, you know, I think we all see on, on Facebook or on Instagram, you know, people's sort of perfect posts about, um, about their messy lives as though, you know, like, um, if they, if they tell everybody that, that they know that they're not perfect, that that's the, that that's the real person. Um, but even that becomes like the, the thing that you're staging for the, for the sake of other people. Um, and I think in my own experience, um, that has been kind of a a fraught endeavor at times where then I end up not even knowing who the real me is and asking who is, who am I? Um, you know, so when I think about confession as being something that um, that helps me find the real me um, with the help of somebody else that, you know, that then I can I can live a better life. Um, and so you know if if life is given for repentance and that's not given for us to be, guilty um, and to feel bad about ourselves, but rather to find our authentic self and to live the most true and genuine life of, of seeking to, you know, grow into the full stature of Christ, um, then that's a beautiful thing. That's not a, that's not a, you know, dark and gloomy and, and painful thing. Um, but that's a beautiful thing to aspire to.
2: Yeah, John John Climacus talks about how when we repent, we do so looking towards God. We looking we're looking towards God in hope. We're looking towards his mercy. We're not looking down at our sin and how awful we are. Instead, we're looking up in hope towards him. And I think that's really important to remember. It's not about guilt. It's about really rejoicing in the gift of God's mercy and love. And his power to transform us, because if if you don't actually want to change, that's not repentance. You know, when Justin has his affair on his business trip, and then comes back and tells the priest, and he's like, "And I, you know, I just downloaded Tinder. It's great. There are all these like potential affairs I could be having." That's not repentance. That's not repentance at all. So this actually involves change. It's not just a sort of get out of jail free. Go back to doing your thing.
1: I'm not sure if I'm liking this example very much. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of Vanessa, who might be listening, that
2: is not true. Justin Mon, he's a different guy, a different guy.
1: But I will say um, the one thing that you talked about that I want to, I want to highlight, my personal anecdote, I didn't really I'm cradle Episcopalian um, I'm the product of a Methodist and a Catholic um, who this is crazy time, right? The Methodist minister and the Catholic priest inside a Catholic church at the Catholic altar married my parents together. Um, and, and they went to marriage counseling to both with, to both of them and both of them separate from each other said, join the Episcopal church after your wedding. So Catholic priest and a Methodist minister sent my mom and dad to the Episcopal church where they landed. Anyways, I was raised Episcopalian. Never once growing up pre-seminary had I ever, I'd seen reconciliation with penitent, you know, on the bottom of the page in the prayer book, never thought about it. Been to spiritual weekends, didn't really... You know, different ones in the Episcopal Church, like happening and new beginnings was for middle school. Did heard about it, but not really, didn't really know what it was. It wasn't until seminary, um, that I studied it. And then I realized for a couple of years there, i had really been dealing with some anger and some resentment, um, coveting different things. It was what I would I would say it was jealousy, but we'll use the fancy word of coveting, what I felt like all my friends had that I didn't have. And um and I would go to, I was going to the liturgy, was going saying the general confession, but stuff was just eating me up. And I remember I, I talked to my spiritual director who happened to be the director of the program at Emory. And uh, yeah, he said, I think you probably do for a confession. said, you'd probably do for a confession. Said, yeah, for a confession. If, if you're not feeling that kind of, you're just kind of stuck in this place. And I found a Lutheran pastor with his help uh, who up until recently was my confessor and as priest it's one of those things that i'm not sure in the in the diocese of georgia it was required that we had a confessor and it was actually somebody we turned in the name of the person who was our confessor they didn't of course invade our privacy they just wanted to know we were going on a regular basis uh, to see somebody anyways when i first met him i was kind of nervous it's kind of like i really want to share all this kind of stuff and we just got to talking and we entered into the right. He used the, uh, even though he's a Lutheran pastor, he used the Episcopal prayer book. He used the Form 1. And we got to that part. It's on the bottom of page, 447, for those who have their prayer book, where it says, here the priest may offer counsel, direction, and comfort. And I'll never forget that. And that moment after I kind of poured my heart out, he just started talking me through as like he was my best friend, just a spiritual friend. So here, wait, 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 let's look at different things. To your point, Bertie about the priest coming alongside. I didn't get the sense he was there casting judgment down on me. I didn't get the sense that he was saying, oh, you're really, you want to get ordained? Good luck. Like none of that. Like the biggest, the the most powerful thing he said to me. So you're human. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about transformation. Let's talk about repentance. Let's talk about amending your life. And how can I help you with that? And we spent a good, we spent the bulk of our time I think it was probably a better part of a half hour just talking through all these different things I had been carrying for years. And it was so powerful. And now after that, and since I've studied the desert a lot and I live a lot of my spirituality out of the contemplative tradition in the early church, it makes sense to me because that's what those guys were talking about. Like part of what we do is we do it in, I'll call it spiritual friendship and in, in, in kinship with one another. We support one another in helping amend life. Um, especially in the uh, priest to confessee, if that's a fair word, uh, role, right? The, the one who's coming seeking repentance. So as a priest now, anybody who comes to me looking for a confession or to participate in the reconciliation of a penitent, I take it very seriously, very seriously, because I'll never forget that day where I have never felt such a relief. I didn't feel like my life was perfect. I didn't feel like everything I'd done was right. But I knew God loved me and I knew that there was transformation that was happening in my life and that this confessor, my confessor, was helping me and walking with me, which I think is so, so important because I don't think had I had that, I don't know what would have happened. I guess I would have continued to carry all that stuff and it would have just gotten harder to keep contained. And to your point, Brent, I I see people do that all the time. They kind of put up this perfect facade, but you see the cracks you see everything break and then you see the guilt and the judgment i think that's an out i sometimes think the overjudging behavior that we tend to fall into is exactly what jesus was talking about it's so much easier to point out a speck in somebody else's eye and not deal with the dang plank coming out of your own eye
2: mm-hmm. so
1: we we deflect you know we deflect out and say well they're worse than me <laughs> instead of you know we're all making mistakes let's 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 figure this out you know there might be more people having adultery than just Justin Mann, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's other people out there, um, and, 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 and we need to work, you know, we, we've got we've to do the work, but we, we've got to start, and this is where the desert, I think, too, is really important. I mean, a lot of, for the desert, starts with yourself before you can truly be impactful to somebody else. You've got to be willing to kind of expose yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then realize that even in that moment, God is right there with you. And that's why I love the image of hope that you shared with us, Bertie. I think that's so important for people to hold on to. We don't stare at our sin and go, I'm just an evil person. God, there's no way God will love me. No, that's exactly why God loves you. I mean, that's exactly where God meets you, is you're looking at it and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't me. This isn't all of me. There's so much more I'm called to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's, that's, that's a really important piece that we have to hold on to.
0: I think it can be really, um, <clears throat> it can be a powerful experience to, to share that with somebody else who is going to guarantee, you know, give you this assurance of your forgiveness, you know, that you don't have to be alone in your sin either, you know, um one, I'm glad that we don't have to get up and state our confession in front of the whole church because <laughs> that would be very difficult um so there are there's a growing list of reasons that I would have been a very bad Christian in the early church. Um, not sure I would have been able to do that um also, I probably would have been the person that would have been like I was just here to get a cup of coffee and I actually live next door, so a um, couple of reasons that I am glad to be a more modern Christian now. Um, but it 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 just can be um, it can be a really kind of therapeutic or cathartic experience to to share that with somebody else and then leave with the weight of that burden gone. Um, which doesn't happen when I say the general confession. I don't have that, you know, s- sense of relief. I, I, I still have that, you know, feeling of looking for, um, you know, looking for the things that I am supposed to confess. But it, it can be a real, um, it can be a real relief to to make your confession to another person. Um, and I think it's worth stating because we're all priests here talking about this. That when somebody makes a confession to us, we don't tell anybody. Um, that it really is absolutely um, 100% um, between, you know, you and the priest. And I think that um, I was, you know, frankly, I was nervous about that before I made my first confession. And I I put off making a confession for a really long time because I just... You know, I thought like, well, what is this person gonna think of me? Um, I want it to be somebody who doesn't know me or you know, um because they'll they'll surely hate me afterwards or or whatever you know, think I'm just a really um big slob and you know not not worthy at all. um and so I put it off for a long time, but you know i would I would want our listeners out there to know. Um, that they really can trust the the priest that they decide to make their confession to um, and that that um, you know we we basically could be stripped of our orders if we divulged the content of somebody's confession um, and I don't believe any of us would do that
2: I think it's also important to say that confession is a sacrament and so, in confession we have this transformative experience of the grace of god i mean god is actually doing something to us in the sacrament of confession so there's this the sort of um counsel of the priest which is helpful there is this just divulging all the stuff that i've been holding on to for so long which is helpful but there's also the work of the holy spirit in the sacrament of confession and that takes place in the penitent but that also takes pra- place in the priest to whom they're confessing. And so I know for me, like, after I hear a confession, I don't see someone and be like, oh, there's Becky, you know, this thief, Becky, uh ah, she's always stealing stuff. Like, I don't even remember what people confessed. And if something does kind of well up in my mind, then I actively remember, oh no, that's that's not for me. That was given to God. So I don't, in no way do I hang on to what people confess. One of my favorite parts of the Episcopal rite, and I'm not very familiar with, with the rites of other traditions, But in our right and perhaps in others we finish by saying god has put away your sin go in peace and pray for me a sinner and there's this acknowledgement that i am not anyone's judge i'm not anyone's superior i am just there as a servant of christ i'm just there as a witness i'm there to listen i'm there to advise and i'm there to bid the absolution and so for me in no way is it ever about judging anybody because if i'm if i'm there to judge people like, I shouldn't be hearing confessions. Like, I, I shouldn't be a priest. I will say for me, I've, I, like you,
1: Bertie, I've never, once I hear a confession, I literally don't remember it pretty uh-huh. quickly thereafter. And that's the greatest gift. I always tell the person that I will not remember this. And I actually had a college student when I first started in campus ministry. I think it was the very first confession I heard. Came back to me years later and said, remember what I confess? I, like, I have no clue. I have zero clue i literally had no clue and they proceeded to tell me i still I said it's not kicking any bells off but i'm i'm glad it's better i'm glad you I'm glad you amended your life um i just i that's the, one of the greatest gifts um and i always like to say that to folks because to everybody's point thus far on this on this show right now on this episode none of us hold on to it we don't hold it over you we don't you know we don't see you in church and go hmm Better hide the silver.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I also have to say, really early on in my priesthood, someone confessed to me something about an ongoing situation where there was real bad stuff happening, and it was illegal stuff, and it was X, Y, and Z. And so I went to my bishop, and I was like, I can't tell you what I heard in confession, but it was really bad. And if I did say something, I know that I could stop it, but I feel like I can't break the seal of confessional. And he was like, of course you can't break the seal of the confessional. What are you talking about? Like, no, yeah, don't tell me any of this. Because, I mean, that's that's how solemn it is. Mm-hmm. There is. There is no revealing. So you can say, I just killed my uncle. His body's in the trunk of my car. You know, I'm feeling kind of bad about it. And I would certainly advise you to go turn yourself into the police. But um, I can't call 911. That's not what the confessor does. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I think as we kind of... As we kind of transition down here on this i'm thankful you're here Bertie and i think the last thing i want to really want to talk to talk about um is so what are some of the things to help to help listeners understand who may have been like me years ago what are some of the things that should make me want to seek out a priest for a private confession or to participate in the reconciliation of a penitent what are some of those things that you know, I know we've we've used the example of adultery. We use the example of theft. What what, what would be the what, what How do we help people understand what might be the trigger? If we if there is a way, we can kind of advise and help people say, you know, maybe
2: maybe come talk to a priest. Come talk to one of us. A great starting point is the Ten Commandments. So, um, you know, do you put God above everything else in your life? Like, do you are you constantly focused on honoring God? Is your prayer life first? Is your giving on behalf of God first? Are, is following God your primary concern? And if not, what are the ways in which you have fallen down on that job? Um, that's, that's a great place to start. Do you keep the Sabbath holy? Do you ever miss church? Are you distracted in church? Are you working on Sundays and, and are you doing all sorts of things that, that are, are um, keeping you from spending your Sunday in a profitable way? that's a great place to start. Do you honor your father and mother? Do you honor them with your words, with your deeds? Do you do you live a life that brings your father and mother honor? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? Do you, do you swear falsely? Do you misuse the name of God? But also, have you taken on the name of the Lord as a Christian? Have you taken on the name of Christ in vain? Have you said, yes, I'm a Christian, and then lived as though you're not one? I mean, I think the Ten Commandments are a wonderful place to start. Then you get into the illegal ones like theft and murder that everybody knows are wrong. But the majority of the Ten Commandments are not things that are felony offenses. You know, coveting is sort of the basis of free market capitalism. And yet, from our perspective, that is one of the commandments. You know, if you spend your time obsessing over the best refrigerator for your kitchen remodel, you're coveting. You are stuck in this sin that is turning your refrigerator into an idol and god is the center of the universe god is the changer of life god is the source of happiness and peace not refrigerators so i mean i think that if you go through the list of the ten commandments and you find anything there that you need to confess email your priest call your priest set up an appointment um i think everybody should go to confession not because god won't forgive you if you don't not because you shouldn't receive the eucharist if you don't but because it's this gift given to us by the church. You know, when can you just open your heart to somebody and say like, you know, I've been struggling with pornography for so long and I have to hide this from my family and I'm so ashamed about it. I've been struggling with stealing for so long and I have to hide this from my accountant and I'm so ashamed of it, whatever it is. Like, how could? where else do you get the opportunity to just do that and have this gift of a response that is love and friendship and aid and the grace of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's amazing. Why not? Mm-hmm.
1: I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And in terms of our spiritual journey, I think that, again, that spiritual kinship that you get and that relationship with your confessor can help you. Some of the things we talked about on a couple of episodes ago related to Ash Wednesday, in particular, our Lenten journey, uh, it, when you participate in that conversation with a priest, they're going to hopefully help you three of us will for sure will help you look at your prayer, your fasting, where is your focus? How can we help you kind of reorient your life um, again from that place of friendship, spiritual friendship and and mentorship and advice. And knowing that, you know, here's the here's a great thing that Bren and I've said many episodes ago and a couple times. We're human too. We're not like something else. We're not like su- spiritual superheroes that are just sinless. Like we've probably been in your shoes before. We've probably had similar thoughts. We've probably coveted a refrigerator before. We've probably, you know, we've we've had all these kind of feelings. So I think it's also important to remember that you're sitting with another human being who is called to a particular function, but that calling doesn't make us something else other than human, if that makes sense. I think that's really important distinction um, when you're sitting with us, that we're, we really are there to try to help you and I, you said this earlier, Bertie. Maybe not quite this way, but every confession I've been a part of has been very powerful and spiritually enlightening to me as well. You know the growth that I receive when somebody opens themselves up. Uh, dare I use Maximus again? But I think I find God in new ways in those very vulnerable, open conversations as we're working towards amendment of life. Um, I've had my own transformational experiences because, again, it's a conversation. Um, there's, there's, there's two people in that conversation. See, I just killed, I just killed it right there. I just, (laughs) just dropped it. Just dropped the mic.
0: Yep. There's just nothing left to be said. Well, I think as we, as we, as we wind, uh, down here, we want to say that our next episode, we're going to be talking about what is sin, um, that we have, you know, um, here, we're in the season of Lent. It's a, it's a season of, of, um, a penitential season. Um, we talked about the general confession and now the, uh, reconciliation of a penitent. So we're going to get into conversation about what is sin, um, and, and get to talk about that a little bit more. But before we wind up, Bertie, um, you have a podcast of your own that you, um, do regularly. Will you tell us and our listeners about that before we, uh, before we finish?
2: I'd be happy to. Yeah, I have a podcast called The History of Christianity, and it's really kind of a, it's sort of the theology of the early church, the theology of early Christians kind of set in the context of that history. So it's it's meant to be, it's not kind of dry, boring history with a bunch of dates. It's really meant to be accessible and something that you can bring into your own prayer life, into your own spirituality, and also just understand why it is and how it is we believe the things we believe what does it mean to believe in the trinity what does it mean to believe in salvation what did the early church say about all these things so the history of christianity is on itunes and spotify etc cetera, etc cetera. so check it out we will
1: put a link to it in our show notes and the last thing i like to do with our guest is the rapid fire question round uh-oh
2: so Bertie, when were you ordained I was ordained in two thousand and seven to the diaconate, two thousand eight to the priesthood, I think. What what diocese? That was Diocese of California.
1: What's your favorite author? Who is your favorite Spirit. author?
2: <laughs> the Holy Spirit.
1: The Holy Spirit. Oh come <laughs> on. What are you reading okay, right okay, now? Okay.
2: Uh, right now, I'm reading *The Vicar of Bullhampton* by Anthony Trollope, and I love Trollope. I'm, he, fortunately, he wrote like six thousand novels, so I don't think I'll ever read them all. But I'm a huge Trollope fan. Okay, what is your favorite liturgy to preside and or celebrate? Hmm. You know, I love Sunday morning Eucharist. We have an eleven o'clock right to traditional music. That's kind of my jam. And what is
1: one, or what is a statement you would say about if you could motivate all Christians today, what would you tell them to do for the sake of the future church?
2: Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand.
1: I figured you were going to say that. Well, thank you, Bertie. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being yeah, thank with you, us Birdie. today. Uh, We'll link your podcast, The History of Christianity, uh, in in our show notes. So listeners, please tune into Bertie's podcast. I'm sure we will see Bertie again here, or hear Bertie again here, not see him, but hear him again here on Lit uh, as he is a dear friend of ours. So thank you, Bertie, for your time. And next week, folks, we're going to dive into sin. So join us as we continue kind of this arc that we're on as we dive more into these topics during the season
2: of Lent. (laughs) Thank you for having me and enjoy diving into sin.
1: Alrighty, Take care, everybody. Until next time. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Young, Episcopal priest in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date. And we so appreciate your listenership.